Welcome. You're listening to The Aligned Self, conversations in creating a conscious and abundant life. This is Daniel DeNovi. I'll be your guide and host. Let's see just where we can take this. Hello, friend, and welcome back. Welcome back to the conversation. In this episode, we're going to talk about the five strategies for tapping abundance. And this is going to be in alignment with my workshop, Rewrite Your Money Story, which is occurring this weekend. And if you want to find out more about that and how you can get happily involved in rewriting your own money story, go to yesdaniel.com and follow the links. Now, if you like to work on your own a do-it-yourselfer, I suggest you sign up for Just the Workshop. If you want to work with a small group and get guidance along the way over the next five weeks in crafting a money story that works specifically for you, then join the VIP coaching program. Or you can join the vault. If you're already a member of the vault, you get the money story, rewriting your money story for free. It's included in your membership. And you can learn more about it all at yesdaniel.com. But in this episode, we're going to talk about the five strategies that you can use to tap into abundance, tap into the feeling of abundance. Now, the universe is naturally abundant. And if you don't experience the universe as abundant, if you don't experience abundance in your day-to-day, it's not the universe that's not coming through. It's simply your mindset. You're not tapping into, you're not seeing the abundance that is all around you. And if you can't perceive it, then you just don't experience it, even though it's there, even though it's there. And this reminds me of actually a TikTok, a little video that my wife had shown me. There was a woman skiing down a hill, and unbeknownst to her, there was a grizzly bear chasing her down the hill, running right after her, but she had no idea. She was just skiing. She was just enjoying herself. Now, other people on the side could see this bear chasing her. They were very well aware of the bear running down after her. And luckily for her, she just naturally outskied the pace of the bear. But the bear was there. The girl on the skis, she was oblivious to it. She had no idea. But just because she wasn't aware of it didn't mean that the bear wasn't there. And you and I experience this phenomena day in, day out. I've referred to it before in an earlier episode, your internal GPS. And I'll uh, link the episode number down in the show notes. The way it works is, is that you have a neural network in your cognitive facility, your brain, that identifies those things that are important to you that you've identified in one way or another, either through past programming or through your current question, to sort through all the available information at any given moment, the different stimuli in your environment, the different information or ideas that come your way, and your reticular activating system will sort for only those things that you've identified as being important or relevant to you. And if you have a belief, if you have a a story in your background that the universe is not abundant, then you will look for the areas where it is not abundant. You will have the experience of lack and scarcity. So strategy number one is to ask. And this becomes your current question. You orient your mind with a question. I wonder, or I'm curious, 
how I can tap into more abundance. I just wonder, and you leave a wide open question. And this is how we use the conscious mind to point our other than conscious mind in a direction. I wonder how I can increase my experience of abundance. And then your other than conscious mind will begin sorting your environment for examples and demonstrations of abundance. Another way to use this principle is to tender a question in response to a decision. Let's say you have alternatives, things that you can engage in. And the question is, if I were operating from total abundance, if I were in the thinking of abundance and love, now love is the the emotion of abundance, if I was to come from this, from the emotion of love, unconditional love, what would be my choice? For instance, today I had the opportunity to spend some money, invest some money in my business, or save it. And part of me was thinking, well, you know, Christmas is coming, I got some other bills coming up, and maybe I should set this money aside. And then the other position was, well, this would enhance aspects of my business, aspects of my delivery process, the way I deliver, you know, things and courses and whatnot. And so I asked the question, if I was to make this decision based in abundance, what would be my choice? And it was invest in my business because saving it was the idea that, you know, the funds might be limited. Maybe there's not more coming. But in the context of abundance, investing in my business was investing in me, was investing in my ability to create more, attract more. And live in the idea that there is more than enough to go around. There is always more coming. Have you noticed that? If you've been on the planet for any length of time, you know, you can't hang on to money. Well, you can, but it becomes stagnant. It was Zig Ziglar that said this to me, and he was, it's a sales point, but he said, you can give me this little stack of money and I'm providing for you this training. Now, this money, this little stack of money that you're giving to me, will be gone in a month. It will be going into other places, but you will have the benefit of the training forever. So, in this exchange, who's really making out? So, strategy number one is to align with the idea that the universe is abundance. Ask the question, if you were to experience more abundance, how might it show up? Get curious about it, wonder about it, and then let your other-than-conscious mind surprise you, pleasantly surprise you. And then also make decisions from the context of abundance. If I were totally abundant, would I be concerned with this? Would it even be an issue? What would be my choice? Strategy number two, live in gratitude. Practice gratitude. Now, I also addressed this in a previous podcast episode, the greatest manifesting tool ever. And gratitude is such a powerful manifesting principle that when you focus on the things that you love and appreciate, now some things are easy to look at and say thank you for. You know, an extra $10,000 you weren't expecting, a new car, someone cooking you a good meal. Thank you. I love and appreciate that. This is so good. It's, I didn't expect it. It's wonderful. But the real power and gratitude comes from those other things. The things that aren't readily apparent are working in your favor. 
it's the setbacks, the detours, the, the angry person at the store or a relationship that didn't quite work out. Those all happened for you. And when you can be in the appreciation of those events, those people, those circumstances that um, expanded your awareness, taught you new things, increased your wisdom, those are things that you can be thankful for. And it reinforces the idea that everything is working out for you. The universe has your back. That is the attitude of abundance, that you are always on your way to getting what you want. You see the energy, the biochemistry of loving and appreciating some aspect or every aspect of your life is completely different than playing the role of a victim. Like, this happened to me. When you can appreciate everything in your life, love your life, it shifts everything. Whatever comes up in your life, you're thankful for because it's feedback to guide you either on your course or to refine your approach. So if you haven't yet engaged in the Extreme Gratitude Project, just identify three to five things right now. Put the device on pause and identify three to five things that you love and appreciate about your life right now. If you love listening to podcasts, oh, I appreciate having access to information, access to different minds, different ideas that I can use to enhance my life. If you're using headphones, you can be thankful for the fact that you have headphones, that you can have this private conversation, this private listening, independent of bothering other people and not be interrupted by other people because they see that you have headphones in and they leave you alone for the most part. Unless you're my wife and I'll be listening to a podcast or some recording as I'm walking around and she'll talk to me as if I can hear her completely. And she'll, if I point to my earphones, she'll say, well, how do I know you're actually listening to anything? So I stop listening to what I'm listening to on my device and I stop and I listen to her because she's a priority and I'm thankful for her. But whatever it is, just identify three to five things and feel it. Now, this is the big part. Feel it in your body. Experience the appreciation. Experience the love and appreciation in your body. Feel it in your heart. Feel it in your lungs. Feel the brightness and the lightness in your mind. So strategy number two, practice gratitude. Strategy number three is tithing. Now, I didn't really believe a lot in tithing until I met Edwin Gaines. Now, I shared the stage with her, and I was actually her host when she was here in Fort Worth. I drove her around, and we had some nice conversations. And one of the principles that Edwin preaches in her book, The Four Spiritual Laws of Prosperity, is tithing. It's give 10% where you're spiritually fed. So this is not necessarily a religious organization. It's anywhere where you feel spiritually fed that feeds your spirit, that feeds your abundance, your, your joy of life. You could support an organization. It could be a religious organization or a charitable organization or even an individual that is doing something interesting that is aligned with your values, aligned with what you want to do in the world, and then you can work miracles through them. It could be leaving a generous tip to your server, someone that just by their mere presence has enhanced your meal, enhanced your enjoyment of life. Christmas is coming up. You could buy an extra toy at the store or order one on Amazon and gift it to Toys for Tots. 
I can remember in 1967 when my father was laid off. He wasn't laid off, actually. GM was on strike, and it was a long strike. And, but no one was working, and there was no pay. So it was a lean time. Now, the UAW, along with another organization, bought a bunch of toys for the children of the men and women that were striking at General Motors. I can remember I got a fire truck. It was all wrapped up, and it was gifted to me. Now, it wasn't what I asked for, but it was such, it was such a memorable moment receiving a gift from someone I didn't even know that helped shift my awareness that the universe is abundant. So maybe you don't gift money. You have time. You can gift your time. Now, one of the things that's going on, the Salvation Army and Tony Robbins, he does his basket brigade. You can volunteer for that and deliver Thanksgiving baskets to needy families. I did this a couple years in a row with a friend of mine. We actually collected donations, collected different food, money, and we built the baskets ourselves. We had 29 baskets of food that we ended up delivering as part of a larger organization, a larger group, but it was meaningful. It was such a, a great feeling to take a few hours out on Thanksgiving morning and deliver these baskets. So maybe you have an abundance of time. Maybe you can volunteer at a homeless shelter or somewhere else. Just volunteer. Volunteer wherever you feel the need is there and that you can help deliver. Now, I have a couple of friends that run homeless shelters, and this time of year, there's actually an abundance of people that become overwhelmed with the Christmas spirit, and they want to, you know, give to those less fortunate. What they really need, though, is people serving and supporting them at other times of the year. I just saw where the Navajo Nation was had a drive to collect money and coats and blankets to distribute among the Native Americans there on the reservation. Now, understand many of the homes on the res don't have running water, don't have indoor plumbing. Maybe they have some source of heat. So conditions are not ideal. And so if you could give there, if you want to find a connection on giving to the Navajo Nation, contact me and I can hook you up. So what does this tithing thing do? How does it tap you into abundance? Well, even if you give a little, it gives the idea that you have more than enough. It reinforces the idea that you have not only enough for you, but enough to give others. And that is an abundant feeling. Now, a caveat to that, I saw a young man who won a million dollars. And he was asked, what is the first thing you're going to do? And the first thing that he wanted to do was give money away. Now, that's admirable at best. But you, I think you need to look at the mindset. If you have a windfall and your first response is to give it away, part of you is saying, part of you is acknowledging, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve this abundance. Now, when you live in an abundant universe, everything that comes to you is yours and yours alone. You don't have to share. You don't have to give it away. You can be selfish and keep the whole thing to yourself. But you need to look at your motivation when you want to give. Is it coming from a sense of guilt? Is it coming from a sense that you don't deserve what you have? And the, this whole idea, you know, billionaires and millionaires, where they say, I want to give back. They reach a point in their life, like, I want to give back. Well, that statement comes from the idea that they've been taking 
the whole time. I want to give back because I've been taking and taking all my life. And finally, I've become overwhelmed with it. Actually, slightly embarrassed about it. And I need to give back. So, be cautious on your attitude behind the giving. It needs to come from your heart to make a difference. Strategy number four, and that is random acts of kindness. That is finding things to do, finding ways to make an impact for other people without them ever knowing it. It can be, and they can know, but if you're doing it for the acknowledgement, if you're doing it for, hey, look at me, and I know people that are do that because it feeds their ego. They want to be seen as the good guy or whatever. But I think when you give, you should make a practice of giving where no one will ever know that you're giving. No one will ever know that you're the one that made a difference for somebody else. Be anonymous. Now, you don't have to do that all the time. You don't have to, you know, scratch your name out every time, but every now and then do it where no one knows. I used to have a coworker at FedEx and our vehicles would line up next to each other and she was going through a tough time. Troubles at home, troubles with the kids. It was, it was just rough for her. And I would secretly, after hours, I would clean her vehicle. I'd clean it out. I'd organize it. I'd stock it with supplies. And I never told anybody. I did it just to make a difference for her, make life a little bit easier. Now, this idea of random acts of kindness also extend like on the road. When someone's trying to merge in, are you one of the people that speed up and make sure that they can't get in ahead of you? Or do you slow up and let them in and give them a little wave? You know, kind of like, hey, I'm here looking out for you. I open doors for people. I was at the grocery store. You see, I look for opportunities like this. I was in the grocery store. I was actually in the the wine section. And uh, I was picking up some wine for my wife and I. And this woman comes up to me and asks, like, do you know where the Lambrusco is? And I said, you know, I don't. I don't. Let's, Let's look. A long time ago, I picked up this customer service idea. When a customer comes to you with a problem, own it like it's yours. And so I walked with her and we looked and looked and we couldn't find the Lambrusco. It's, you know, an Italian table wine. So I picked a nice sweet red wine because she said that her daughter was going to use it for a recipe. And I said, well, this should work and it's not too expensive. And she thanked me and uh, it bugged me. She left and she left. And I looked and looked even more for this Lambrusco and I found it. And I found a bottle that was even cheaper. So I picked up the Lambrusco, I hunted her down, it was like a few aisles over, and I said, here, I found the Lambrusco, and uh, you can take this, and it's less money, and I'll take the one that I gave you originally, and I'll take and put it back on the shelf. And she, her jaw dropped. She said, are you serious? And, and I said, yeah, I love the fact that I was able to find, you know, connect with you and give this to you, and hopefully you'll have an amazing meal with your daughter. And she shook her head and said, I've never had a white man go out of his way for me. I said, I didn't even think about that. I just saw you as a person in need and I wanted to touch your life. And hopefully you can pay it forward. Another time I was coming back from the upper peninsula to the lower peninsula of Michigan, back when I lived in Michigan, but I was visiting the UP. And as I'm coming back across the Mackinac Bridge, which is a toll bridge, I gave an extra six bucks to pay for the toll for the car behind me. And you would have thought I gifted them the world because they drove up fast 
and came right up. They were honking their horn. There was kids in the car, and they were like, hoot, you know, arms and <laughs> flailing and hooping and hollering, and thank you, thank you, thank you. And that response was amazing. I got a lot of mileage out of that response. It was well worth the six bucks for that amount of happiness. You know, we can spread happiness for just a little bit of effort. Something else I've done in the past is I've gone to local churches and I've asked, are there any elderly in your congregation that uh, live alone and that might need a, you know, a handyman or, you know, just some help? And they would connect me with them and I would show up and I said, I'm here for two hours. I'll do whatever you need for two hours. And sometimes they would have to really rack their brain. Other times they had immediate things for me to do. I raked the leaves in the yard. One time I cleaned the gutters. I changed light bulbs in the ceiling fan. Just little things here and there that were just a stretch for them. And having a person there to do it for them made all the difference. One guy said, I don't need anything, but I would love a conversation. Would you talk to me over a cup of coffee? And so we sat and we talked over coffee. And he talked about his time in the army and getting married after that, bearing, you know, raising his kids and finally bearing his wife. And the fact that, you know, all his friends from earlier in life were dying off and he was finding himself more and more alone. And he just ached for connection. That was one of the best conversations I ever had. So hopefully I gave you a few ideas, random acts of kindness and random basically because you have an opportunity and you extend yourself and make your presence known that I'm here to assist. I'm here. Now there's this distinction between helping someone and assisting them. Most people love to be assisted. Not everyone wants to be helped. And frankly, when you help someone, you're in the attitude, you're in the idea that they can't do it themselves. They're incapable. So when you assist them, it's something that they can and should do for themselves, but you're there to just make life easier. Again, this reinforces the idea that you have enough to go around, enough love, enough money, enough support, that you can be there for other people. You can make a difference. And now we come to strategy number five. Now, in the last episode, when I talked about uncovering your money story, I talked about how I heard as a kid frequently about the things that I wanted, usually around toys or different things for me. Uh, we can't afford that. And it seems like as a kid, I heard it a lot. And I didn't really realize it until I was an adult and I was with my first wife. And uh, we would talk about things and I would say, we can't afford it. And she would ask, how do you know we can't afford it? It was a knee-jerk reaction. And I realized that I had this attitude that money was scarce. I can't afford it. And then I shifted it. Instead of saying I can't afford it, I started saying, I choose not to buy that. I want to put my money somewhere else. So understand that anything you really want, you really want it, you can find the money some way to pay for it. I've seen it happen again and again in my life and other people's lives that when something is a priority, you will move heaven and earth. You will sell almost anything to make it happen. And so the truth is, is that you, it's not that you can't really afford it. It's just that you choose not to spend your money in that way. 
And when you can set it up that it's a choice, that if you wanted to, you could buy it, of course you could, then it makes a difference in your experience because you're just choosing not to. And from this attitude of choice, you are in command. You are the captain of your ship. You are the master of your domain. You're not at the victim of your financial circumstances. You're not at the victim of life. So you can say, yes, if I really wanted to, I would do that. But I'm not that compelled to do it. So it's just not a priority. And I'm putting my money over here. And one exercise that I did to get over that, I got from Jerry Gillis when he wrote the book Money Love was I put a $100 bill, crisp $100 bill in my wallet and I carried it with me everywhere. And I would always say when something would come up, I would say, you know, I could buy that. I have the money in my pocket right now. If I really wanted that, I could buy it. And I spent that $100 again and again in my head, in my imagination. I had the experience of spending that over and over and over again. Because I would say, oh, I could buy that. I could buy that. Oh, this? I could buy that. And then occasionally I got to a point where I would actually use the $100 and buy something, really valuing it. It's the attitude of the Zen archer. The Zen archer goes out with a single arrow and a bow and then will wander the countryside and spend all day choosing on what to shoot that arrow at, if at all. And so I had this $100 bill. And the rule was that if I spent it, I would have to replace it almost immediately. But carrying that $100 around and spending it again and again gave me the feeling that I had money to spend if I wanted to. If I wanted to, it was there. And then, you know, once $100 becomes not that much money, put in $200, $300, carry $500 around. And know at any given time, you could spend that on that if you wanted to. You have the money. Do this. Play this game. Oh, that's another thing. You can play. You can have money. This is a bonus. This Attention. This is a bonus. You can view money as a game. Count and win. You see, you don't make money. You attract money. You attract it. And where does it come from? Not from people. It comes through people. Other people earn it. They create it, they attract it, and then they, you provide a service, you provide value in one way or another, whether it's with an employee or you're a service provider or you make products, and you attract money through other people, through fulfilling a need, fulfilling a want and a wish and a desire. Zig Ziglar said this, and he was a phenomenal sales trainer, public speaker. Uh, he's no longer on the planet, but he said, you'll get everything you want in life. If you help enough other people get what they want. And that is an attitude that I've taken on for myself. So when you're playing the game of abundance, you get curious. I wonder where the money's going to come from. I wonder how it's going to come in. Because we have our ideas. We have the, our, our attitude about how the money's going to show up or how it could show up or might show up. And frankly, it's usually limited. Now, I've opened up different possibilities for money to flow to me. But at different times in my life, I've had, you know, an unexpected bill come up, a $3,000 bill. And I wonder, oh, God, where did that work? The money's not there. And I said, but it'll show up. And just before I had to pay it, I got a new client. It was actually an old client that was off my radar. We finished work and they wanted to re-up. They wanted to work with me again. 
And like I said, they weren't even on my radar. It wasn't a consideration. I didn't consider them an active client or someone that might want to work with me. Because frankly, we had accomplished what we set out to accomplish earlier. But unbeknownst to me, other circumstances came up in his life. And he wanted to coach. And he chose me. Why? Because I put out the call. He didn't really need a coach. He just wanted a coach. He thought it would be a good idea. And so my need, my want, aligned with his need and want. And the universe brought us together. I could not have orchestrated it with more depth or skill than the way the universe brought us together. That's just one of a hundred examples that I could bring up of where the universe conspired on my behalf. Why? Because I was in the expectation that the universe would deliver. Why? Because the universe is abundant. Why? Because it is law. So there's five strategies that you can adopt, that you can engage in to expand your awareness, expand your, your, your experience of abundance. And again, if you recognize that you have a disempowering story around money and you might want some assistance in crafting a new one, check out my workshop, Rewriting Your Money Story, at yesdaniel.com. Until next time, this is your friend, Daniel Dano V., urging you to follow your bliss, live your life from inner signals, and by all means, live the epic adventure. (laughs) 